welcome to the Acupuncture Outsider podcast. My name is Richard Hazel, and in the time it takes for you to commute to or from work, I hope to have shared something of interest about orthopedic acupuncture using motor points, trigger points, myofascial slings, neurofunctional acupuncture, segmental treatments, anything that crosses my mind that seems to be of interest. I hope you'll enjoy it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Acupuncture Outsider. My name is Richard Hazel and today I wanted to talk about something It might be a little bit controversial. Um, but I wanted to be, um, uh, I, I think this might be a little provocative, but I wanted to let people know that most of the time I don't use orthopedic assessment of before treatment for most people. Um, and I know that's like a little bit um, controversial because there are a lot of people who do orthopedic acupuncture and they rely heavily on orthopedic tests, um, testing, length testing and manual muscle testing and functional assessment. And I just kind of want to put it out there that for follow-up patients, especially I'm rarely using manual muscle tests. I do like them for some in some cases because it demonstrates for the patient their before and after. Um, so I use it more with new patients. So let's say I have a new patient with shoulder pain. I'm probably going to go through the functional assessment, manual muscle testing, the delts and the rotator cuff, and um, palpating the coracobrachialis. And if I think there's trigger points in the infraspinatus, I'm going to I might want to see overhead reach and, you know, see if, if their lats are tight, um, things like that. And that's their first visit. I do usually do the assessment with a new patient because I want them to be confident that I understand what's going on. Beyond that, if you've ever had, well, when you treat, when you treat uh, seniors, very often you're not going to get a lot of assessment done because they're usually in a lot of pain and they're already super tight. It's not for me. I do a little bit of assessment sometimes if I'm just not clear based on what they're telling me, if the pain is really anterior or lateral or posterior, but, but I try not to do much um, manual testing with the, older patients, because based on what they tell me, I can usually uh, figure out what the problem is. Like lateral, lateral shoulder pain, I'm really looking at the supraspinatus and medial deltoids. And, and um, if, if it's just all over shoulder pain and restriction, I'll lie them on the side and treat the th you know, three deltoids. I'll treat the rotator cuff muscles, except for subscap. Um, I might treat long hand of the tricep. I might treat based on their symptoms but a lot of times I'm I'm waiting till after I've actually treated for 10 10 minutes or so um, and then take the needles out and then have them 
attempt to lift their arm and and see how it goes from there. And based on what they tell me, then I may be searching for some trigger points. But I, in, like I said, in most cases, um, the assessment is more for the patient and for the patient to have confidence. Because after a while, you already know what the main causes of anterior shoulder pain are, what are the main causes of lateral shoulder pain or posterior shoulder pain. So you really just need to then um, you know, make a decision about how much you really need to test that, test that theory out. And of course, thinking about scapular stabilizers because I want to make sure that they're that the the stabilization is there. Um, but and and for seniors, very often I'm not treating a lot of scapular stabilizers. Just telling you that um, maybe serratus anterior, but not a lot of middle lower trap stuff um, being treated, rhomboids, things like that, because you're they're usually looking for pain relief and not looking to go out and play a sport um, where they're going to go out and injure themselves. They're really usually not very physically active. I'm not that worried that that they're going to come have to come back um, with the pain you know reactivated because they started doing something. If they are active, let's say they're an active healthy golfer 65 years old, that's a different story. I mean them more like an athlete and consider the scapular stabilizers and and but i'm not going to test that stuff i think at a certain point if you understand how the how the body works what is upward rotation what's downward rotation what muscles are prone to getting tight what muscles are prone to weakness we should know that without having to muscle test to prove it to ourselves if let's say someone's having um lateral shoulder pain you figure out okay it's in first it's supraspinatus and it's medial deltoid. Maybe there's some infraspinatus um, uh, weakness. So, okay, great. But let's think about, you know, upward rotators. So let's make sure, you know, serratus anterior, lower trap. Let's look at upper trap. Maybe upper trap is tight because it's overworking because lower trap and the serratus anterior are not firing well. We should know that stuff. We shouldn't have to test that every single time to know that the lower trap and the serratus anterior are going to be weak. If you have a shoulder problem, very likely the rotator cuff is not stabilizing the joint and your scapular stabilizers are not solid or otherwise you wouldn't be injured. You wouldn't be having this problem. So um, so I'm just putting it out there. A lot of times I don't need to manual muscle test that. It's going to be the same on, on all these people. Uh, same thing with the glutes. Like I, If you come in with low back pain, I already know your glutes are shut off. Your hip flexors are tight. Your low back is tight. Your hamstrings might be tight. Uh, why do I need to muscle test that? If I, if I, if if you're new to me, I might do the manual muscle testing. Most of case, most cases, I, I'm not gonna. I don't even need to test because I know I'm gonna treat your glutes. I'm gonna treat your glute medius. I'm gonna treat your glute max. Probably gonna treat your piriformis. I'm gonna treat your QL and your spinal erectors. I might treat your hamstrings. But if you if you didn't bring shorts and and I think we're really just going to, you know, go for pain relief because you're in acute back pain. I may not even go near the hamstrings. Um, if I can treat the psoas, I may treat the psoas. But if, uh, depending on what, you know, what, how it presents, the, the basics are there. I don't need to muscle test glute max on everybody with low back pain. I mean, really. 
I I will probably, if I suspect that low back pain is being caused by the psoas, I will test the psoas. And I'll do that as a seated test where they lift their knee and I give them some resistance. That's the best way to find a weak um, psoas um, rather than lying on their back because they can kind of cheat lying on their back. Um, so, yeah, and then, of course, I am going to treat the psoas for that. But I'm not going to manual muscle test everything to figure out what's going on. Um, it's just not necessary. You should, we should all understand how the body fails. The body fails the same way on everybody. Um, glutes get weak. Hip flexors get tight. Low back muscles get weak. Abs get tight and weak. Um, hamstrings get tight. Hip flexors get tight. I probably already said that. Um, you know, these are, these are the basics. And we know this from, from the Yonda patterns, lower cross syndrome, upper cross syndrome. And, the, you know, these, these are the patterns we can rely on. Um, yeah, SI joint pain, that's, you know, that's, there are all sorts of um, orthopedic assessment tools that people use. SI joint pain is actually a really tricky diagnosis. Um, but if someone has pain at the SI joint, we already know what attaches in, in, in that area. It's going to be the, the piriformis and the glute max primary. Sometimes there's just a trigger point in the upper glute max just off to the side of the sacrum that's actually causing SI joint pain. Um, the piriformis very often is causing SI joint pain. And if it is actually a dysfunction um, of, the, of the SI joint, then we, then we need to think about everything that attaches to that sacro tuberous ligament and what is stabilizing the SI joint. So then now you're getting into spinal erectors, the deep rotators like piriformis, the gemelli, the obturator internus. Glute max is weak. Glute max is weak. The hamstrings, adductor magnus may be trying to also help stabilize the SI joint. If it's a runner, tight hamstrings, tight adductors, tight piriformis are very, very common. So, you know, if somebody's having SI joint dysfunction, they may not even have pain at the SI joint. But the, but the SI joint's not being stabilized properly by the glute max. So you've got the other stabilizers of the SI joint, the, the spinal erectors that come down. There's that erectors um, um, aponeurosis that, that crosses over the sacrum. Um, when the SI joint's not being stabilized properly, then you have the, the spinal erectors getting tight or the deep rotators are getting tight, hamstring adductors are getting tight. Um, that's a typical pattern for an SI joint dysfunction, but it may not mean that there's SI joint pain. A lot of hip problems and low back issues are caused by SI joint, not the SI joint not being stabilized properly because the glute max has become inhibited and then what we see is then a sciatic um, situation with the, with the deep rotators getting tight and hitting the sciatic nerve. So you'll see a lot of times with a medical diagnosis of um, SI joint pain or uh, sacroiliitis, um, you'll see um, sciatic, sciatic referral. They won't always call it sciatica, but they'll say like pain on standing, pain on sitting, sciatic referral. That usually doesn't go all the way down the leg. It usually goes down the hamstring. Well, yeah, because if your SI joint's not being stabilized properly by glute max, 
then the piriformis and the deep ro other deep rotators there, the gemelli and the obturator internus, will get tighter to stabilize the SI joint because they're all attached with fascia to that sacrotuberous ligament, which is which is a you know really underlying ligament that helps the stabilization of the SI joint. So those deep rotators are getting tight to stabilize because the glute max is not helping. Hamstrings and the the especially biceps femoris and the adductor magnus will also attach with fascia to that sacrotuberous ligament, trying to stabilize the SI the SI joint, especially for someone who's doing some sort of sport or running. So those will start to cause a deep gluteal syndrome where they're impinging the sciatic nerve. It's not coming from like an L5S1 issue. It's coming from the deep glutes. So really, um, SI joint um, assessment is, for me, better done by what are your symptoms? Is it worse when you sit? Is it worse when you're standing? Do you feel SI joint pain? Is that Do you feel pain right there at the SI joint? Can I palpate? Palpate the piriformis, palpate the upper glute area for trigger points. Um, you know, how, is, how are the spinal erectors? Are, are the spinal erectors and the QL super tight? Um, how's the psoas? Because the psoas can also put an external rotation on the hip and the psoas can also put in, um, put, you know, uh, an increased lordosis in the low back. Um, you know, what, how are the hip flexors? Why is the glute max inhibited? Why is glute max not helping you stabilize your SI joint? Maybe the psoas and the hip flexors are tight, but I don't necessarily want to think of it. I don't necessarily want to just muscle test everything to try to figure it out. I want to understand what the symptoms are and go from there. And, and it should just be um, a given that if the glute max is inhibited, then we're treating also hip flexors. That's just, that's just a given um, because because that is the primary inhibitor of the glute max. And I would say psoas is a big one for shutting off your glute max. Because if you imagine standing, your psoas gets tight, it puts an anterior pelvic tilt on your, you know, on your pelvis. You're, you're basically your butt sticking out, your, your low back is, is um, more arched. Your body doesn't want you walking around with your butt sticking out, right? So your body subconsciously knows to engage the glute max to pull your, your pelvis out of that anterior tilt. So then your glute max has to work to keep your pelvis in proper alignment so you can walk around. And that begins to inhibit your glutes because it's working hard to fight against the tight psoas pulling you into an anterior pelvic tilt. So that's that's a percentage, that's some percentage of glute max strength that you can't use for anything else because it's just got to constantly fight against that tight psoas to keep your pelvis in alignment. So that's, that's an inhibited glute max. Um, and you'll see that, I mean, that's just like, that's the human condition. That's, that's the lower cross syndrome. And, and that's, most of us because of how much we sit and how we don't sleep on our backs so our psoas is short most of the day like 20 hours of the day or 24 hours of the day i mean how you know when you're standing and walking obviously the psoas is getting stretched but how how much are we actually standing and walking compared to 
sitting at a desk, sitting in front of the TV, sitting in a car, and sleeping. So that's that. Be, that's the modern human condition. Tight hip flexors, especially so as inhibiting the glutes. So my, I guess my point is, know how the body fails. Um, and the body, while everyone is unique, the body fails in the same way, um, all humans. So if we understand those patterns of failure, what muscles get weak, what muscles get tight, then we don't need to manual muscle test a ton of stuff. And and I would I would just say like most of the time I'm doing it just to show the patient that I know what I'm talking about. But but let's I mean to be completely honest, if someone comes in with low back pain, they might be in too much pain to to manual muscle test anyway. And why why am I going to go through all of that when I know that if they're in low back pain, I'm going to treat the low back muscles, the glutes, glute medius, glute max, probably glute min, and I'm going to treat hip flexors. And I'm definitely going to treat so as if, if it's if it's indicated, especially if um, if they you know if they're if I can get them shorts that they can you know I have paper shorts for my for patients who forget to bring shorts. Um, most of the time, unless they're really needle sensitive, I might wait on the psoas because um, that's a kind of strong one for some people. So not everybody gets a psoas release, but very often, if I feel like they can tolerate it, I'm definitely going to do a psoas release. Um, and I'll do it, you know, I could end up doing it the second time they come if, if I think that they're too needle sensitive um, to do it on the same day that they're coming in. Um, but I just kind of want to put it out there. I think it's a little bit controversial. And um, I think for some people, they might like hearing that it's okay, that they're not muscle testing everybody and um, writing it all down and putting in the, their goniometers on, on how much external rotation they got. Or, um, I think it's important to understand that we're treating um, dysfunction within the context of that person's mobility. And that's not usually optimal. Many times it's suboptimal and they're fine and not in pain if you can correct the muscles that got too tight, the muscles that got too short. We're, we're not trying to get everybody to be ideal. We just need to work within the context of that person's body to get them out of pain. Uh, so obviously I'm not talking about athletes. Uh, that's a completely different thing. But most of the people I'm seeing are not athletes. A lot of them, I would say more than 30%, maybe 40% of the people that I see um, during the week are over 60 years old. And, uh, and I, and I want to keep it minimal for them. I don't, I don't want to do too much for somebody who's over 60. They don't heal as fast. They have more soreness. Um, so, you know, I'm just putting it out there. A lot of times I'm not doing the manual muscle test, especially for the seniors. I already know what's not working. I already know their hip flexors are tight. I know their glutes are shut off. I know their mid-back is weak. I know that their pec is, pecs are tight. I know that, that their rotator cuff is like a rock. And their deltoids are full of trigger points. I know that. So why I don't need to manual muscle. I just know, I know based on their symptoms what I need to treat. And I'm really going to go based on symptoms many, many times. And then once they've had success from the first treatment, then I then I know for a follow-up, I don't need a lot of muscle tests. 
The muscle tests I might do on a second visit would be to figure out why they didn't get, you know, 100% relief or 80% relief or 70% relief. Let's say something's still hanging on there. I, you know, I might muscle test or I'm more likely going to palpate for trigger points because I, you know, generally know based on, you know, what the issue is, what needs to be treated. And if it didn't get better, then I need to kind of dig in and figure it out. And it's, it's often something like a gluteus medius trigger point on one side that, that, that meant that their pain, their low back pain wasn't completely resolved, or it might be trigger points in the piriformis that meant that their sciatica was only better for four or five days and then it came back and then i you know and that's relevant and i think it's i think it's great if you if you treat as gently as possible they get four or five days of relief and then when they come back maybe it flared up a little bit i think it's better that way than if i went in to a piriformis with trigger points on their very first acupuncture treatment I think that's that's like a little jarring for somebody who's new. And once they've had relief from a gentle treatment with just some motor points, maybe, you know, maybe it's 10 minutes of electric stim, um, you know, that person is going to be more open to you working on uh, something that might be a little more uncomfortable because they already know that you can help them. And you're probably the first person who gave them four or five days of relief in a long time. Um, so, yeah, and I, I mean, I had a, I had a, a patient like that who had, who had been in so much pain for two years. She'd been through PT. She'd, she'd tried all the, all the interventions because she's a nurse. So she tried all the standard of care for her SI joint problems. And I, I gently treated her deep rotators and her hamstrings treated her so as that was all on her first visit she's very needle sensitive so um and she then she couldn't make it i think because this was during covid being really um, rampant and she couldn't make it because she'd been exposed to covid and then and she didn't see me again for two or three weeks um uh, maybe it was five weeks but she had texted me two weeks in to just say i just want to let you know that I've had the most relief since your since my first visit with you that I've had in two years, and I'm very I'm starting to feel optimistic that this can actually be you know helped, and and really I've had to see her a couple times since then she's doing great, um, and I didn't do a lot of any muscle testing with her at all. I basically listened to her story, you know, um, listened to everything she'd been through. And then I pushed on muscles like the piriformis and the deep rotators uh, in the lower hip, in the lower glute area, the, that obturator internus and gemellus muscle. And I used a massage gun on those, on those to push in deep so, so we could get a sense of her sensitivity. And it was, it was very clear from, those, from just doing that that this was hypersensitized and this was very likely a big cause of her SI joint um, so that's what I treated, and and then I treated hamstrings because those also help stabilize the SI joint. And I don't think I even treated her low back. Her low back felt fine, and that gave her significant relief. Um, 
I ended up doing some trigger points in her piriformis on the second or third visit um, just because it, it wasn't quite where we wanted it to be as far as pain, being pain-free. She, she, could, she could stand at work without pain. She could sit a lot more without pain. But if she had to stand a long time, she started to feel some. So I knew something wasn't quite released. And it turned out that she had some trigger points in, in her right piriformis. And, um, you know, by the time I was doing that, even though she's needle sensitive, she was able to tolerate it because she knew that that this was helpful. What we were doing was helpful. I was able to put her through a little more discomfort. It's really milliseconds of discomfort, but, you know, it's a little, you know, disconcerting for somebody on a first visit if you're going into their trigger points. Um, but I just want to, you know, basically explain kind of like how I go through things. And generally it's a first visit, new patient. I might do a little bit of orthopedic assessment, but generally I want to hear what happened. And if, if it's the standard treatment, especially for something like, you know, um, SI joint, I may not do a whole lot of orthopedic assessment. Um, I'm going to go based on symptoms and I'm going to go based on the knowledge of what stabilizes the SI joint and then palpate some of those muscles to see if I'm correct on that. And I'm going to treat and then I'm going to have them get off the table in 10 minutes and give me some feedback. And based on what they tell me, then I may go from there, um, palpate for trigger points. Maybe I do um, a little assessment at that point because I'm, I'm either confirming or denying that I'm on the right track um, by what I, what I did. Um, so I just wanted to put it out there. Um, I'm not always manual muscle testing. I, I think it's great to know how to do all the tests because you do sometimes want to confirm it. You really want to confirm it for your patient. But high percentage of the time, someone comes in, I say, hi, how was your week? How was the pain? Is, is it better? Is it, you know, how was it? And then we go from there and, you know, most of the time they're, they're much, much better. They, they may have like one thing that's still bothering them. And that's what we're going to focus on. And rarely am I doing a manual muscle test for that because I know the pain referral patterns for trigger points and I know how the body fails. So I know what to, you know, really what to think about. Um, and if you know how the body works, then, you know, when something's overworking, then you know what are the reasons that it's overworking, right? You know, if it's, you know, a lateral stabilizer or if it's if it's posterior chain or if it's hip flexors or, um, you know why those muscles would be overworking. What is the stabilizer that's probably not, not working so that that muscle's overworking? And once you understand that, then you don't really need a ton of manual muscle tests. You just need to say, okay, I need to treat these muscles that are most likely weak that would cause that muscle to overwork and become tight and cause pain. Okay, so a little bit long on the um, um, episode today, but I wanted to just kind of put that out there and, and and I'm in support of you if you are very similar to that and you're thinking more about symptoms and how the body fails um, and understanding the upper cross, lower cross syndrome, understand what are the stabilizers and what are the muscles that, that end up overworking.
Um, and uh, okay, so that's that's it for this week. If you want to follow me on Instagram, it's Rich Hazel, and um, my Podia site is richardhazel.podia.com, and my email is rich at richhazel.com. All right, have a good week.